This morning, our, we begin a new series called Witnesses. This series is based on the uh, chapter in Hebrews that we're going to spend some time in uh, today. That's Hebrews 11. Um, because it's such a large chunk of text, we're going to break that up into two sections. So the first section that I'm going to read for you right now is Hebrews 11, 1 to 16. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in the foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So as we begin this series called Witnesses, we are looking at this great chapter of Scripture, which could be called the Hall of Heroes. It's a long list of all of these great heroes of the faith and how they lived by faith and what a great example they are to us. 
One of the things as I was thinking about heroes that struck me was that heroes now are different than when I was a kid. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, when I was a kid back in the 70s and 80s, uh, there was, even in the movies then, there was a clear distinction of who was the hero and who was the villain, right? I mean, you knew that Rocky Balboa was the hero and that Drago guy from Russia was the villain, right? You knew that um, it was just clear they were, they were, the heroes were completely good and the villains were completely bad. If you, went, if you go a generation before, it was even visually marked in, the, in those old westerns, right? The good guys wore the white hats and the bad guys wore the black hats. It's, it was either or. You were either a hero or you were a villain. Now when we go to the movies and we read novels and we look at TV, we recognize that heroes are both and. It's a little more gray, right? The heroes, we see their flaws. We see that they're not just completely one or the other, but they also struggle with their own demons, with their own brokenness and all of that. And I think there's beauty in that. And here's why. Because one of the things that happens when we uh, take kind of an either-or approach to our heroes is that we don't actually see them. They become something less than aspirational the longer that goes on. Because we look at them and we place them up on a pedestal and we think, well, there's no way that I could be like that. There's no way that I could be that perfect or that good or that brave or whatever it might be. Because we never look at and see their humanness. One of the things I love about this passage of Scripture is that it's very clear to say that even though all of these heroes that we just listened, the list we listened to, um, lived by faith and responded to God's promises by faith, it said that none of them received what had been promised. Right? It's this, there's this piece where it's just not quite there yet. The other thing that happens for us as people of faith, when we put our heroes up on pedestals, then we take that and it overcomplicates our understanding of what it takes to live a life of faith. So that when our heroes are up on a pedestal and they're so perfect, we think, well, we, don't, we couldn't possibly be a witness uh, without a 10-week class telling us exactly how to be a witness. Or, um, you know, some other, you know, maybe we need more of this or more of that, more education, more training, more, you know, whatever it might be. And we lose sight of the fact that every one of these heroes that's listed in this great chapter are human people, broken people, sinful people. The difference was what, that they believed God and they acted, right? It really is that simple. So what the author of Hebrews lays out for us in this first section is to say that faith is a present reality. It's not just the possession or the property of those who went before, but it's, that, it's something that happens now. And then it gives all these examples of, of what it looks like to live by faith. And the, the starting, the first block in understanding this is this. 
One, uh, one commentator wrote this, that we must believe not only that God exists, but also that God cares. Without that deep conviction, faith in the biblical sense is not a possibility. Verse 6 says that it, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So let's think about just that little verse for just a moment. What does it look like to believe that God is good and to earnestly seek him? Well, that idea of earnestly seeking is to strive after, to really look for, to, to, try, to, um, to try to achieve, right? To, to pursue. Here's the thing. We strive after not what we fear, and when I use the word fear, I'm not using it in the biblical sense, I'm using it in our sense, like that we don't strive after that which we're afraid of, we strive after that which brings us wholeness and completeness. We strive after God because we believe that God is going to accomplish the things that he promises. We strive after God, not because we're scared of Him, but because we believe He is good and that He loves us. And that's why when we look at these verses, we start to see a pattern. The pattern is this, that faith and action are always tied together. Faith and action are always tied together. If we look at all of the heroes that are listed, we, we see that when they heard what God said, and they believed it, and then they did something. So, for instance, Noah heard God's warning and built an ark, even though there wasn't a cloud in the sky, right? Abraham went to a far-off place that he did not know, and once he heard God's call to go. One translator says this, that the, the idea behind the word that in Hebrew that's used when it talks about Abraham obeying is that he obeyed the call, um, he obeyed the call while it was still sounding in his ears. In other words, he didn't sit around and wait and take 14 classes on how to follow God to the promised land. He heard the call of God, he believed the call of God, and he went. There's something beautiful about that simplicity. And then when he got to the promised land, the text tells us that he did not take it as ownership. He did not live in it as an owner, but as a resident alien. The text tells us that he did this because he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, in verse 10. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... They all lived in this promised land as aliens, not there to build an empire, but there to receive the promise as God, as they understood it. They understood that God did not call them there for them to build something that benefited them. They understood that they were called there to build something because that is what God was doing in the world. I think there's a lesson for us in that piece, right? I don't know about you, but if there's, any, if, there's a, if there's one lesson that we have learned in the last year, it's that we are not in control. 
right? At least I hope we've learned that lesson. I think one of our favorite addictions as human beings is to think that we have control and power over what happens to us, and we get to decide, right? Well, guess what? That actually isn't true, and we've all been reminded of it. There are a lot of things that we can control and that we can do, but ultimately, there is so much that we have to trust God for. And so when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob settled in the promised land, they did so recognizing that it wasn't theirs to own, but they were there at God's call. They didn't put their faith in a political party or a government or their country or anything else. They put their faith in the fact that God had called them there and that God would do what he wanted to do with them. Our faith combined with action means that we live lives in profound trust that God really does seek the good of those who love him. You know, it's easy for us to quote Romans 8 as I just did when life is wonderful or when we see that, you know, that we see those blessings. It's much more difficult when life is not going the way we, we expected or when we're on the road and, we, and we're obeying but we're not seeing the promises fulfilled yet, right? I mean, imagine that Abraham and Sarah were promised that they would be the parents of this great generation of whom there, the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore, that they would number that many. And yet Sarah was beyond the age of childbearing, and they waited decades for that promise to be fulfilled. They lived by faith. They trusted that God was good and would fulfill His promise. So I have one story that I love to tell, a fable that I came across years ago, and it's a little bit long, but I want you to to just sit back and listen because I think it's a great example of what it looks like to live with that kind of faith. It goes like this. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. People offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. This horse is not a horse to me, he would tell them. It is a person. How could you sell a person? It is a friend, not a possession. How could you sell a friend? The man was poor. The temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. One morning, he found that the horse was not in the stable. All the village came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you would be robbed. You are so poor. How could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better to have sold him. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. No amount would have been too high. Now the horse is gone, and you have been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, Don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in his stable. That is all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people contested. Don't make us out to be fools. 
We may not be philosophers, but great philosophy is not needed. The simple fact that your horse is gone is a curse. The old man spoke again. All I know is that the stable is empty and the horse is gone. The rest I don't know. Whether it be a curse or blessing, I can't say. All we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? People of the village laughed. They thought the man was crazy. They had always thought he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold the horse and lived off the money. But instead, he was a poor woodcutter, an old man still cutting firewood and dragging it out of the forest and selling it. He lived hand to mouth in the misery of poverty. Now he had proven that he was indeed a fool. After 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He had run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, he had brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the village people gathered around the woodcutter and spoke. Old man, you were right, and we were wrong. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. The man responded, Once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses returned with him, but don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You can see only a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book. Can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a phrase. Can you understand the entire phrase? Life is so vast, yet you judge all of life with one page or one word. All you have is a fragment. Don't say that this is a blessing. No one knows. I am content with what I know. I am not perturbed by what I don't. Maybe the old man is right, they said to one another. So they said little. But down deep, they knew he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve wild horses had returned with one horse. With a little bit of work, the animals could be broken and trained and sold for much money. The old man had a son, an only son. The young man began to break the wild horses. After a few days, he fell from one of the horses and broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You proved you were right. The dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son has broken his legs, and now in your old age you have no one to help you. Now you are poorer than ever. The old, the old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only that my son broke his legs. Who knows if it is a blessing or a curse? No one knows. We have only a fragment. Life comes in fragments. So happened that a few weeks later the country engaged in war against the neighboring country. All the young millet, the men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man, crying and screaming because their sons had been taken. There was little chance they would return. The enemy was strong and the war would be a losing struggle. They would never see their sons again. You were right, old man, they wept. God knows you were right. This proves that your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he is with you. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke again. It is impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war. Mine did not. No one knows if it is a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough to know. Only God knows. 
Friends, the faith of the woodcutter is that God sees the whole picture. The faith of the woodcutter is that God is good and that he is seeking the good of those who seek him. That faith allowed him to rest in the confidence in what God was doing, even though he couldn't understand or see the whole picture. He was at peace. He lived by faith. The rest of the chapter in Hebrews that we are looking at this morning lists some others who lived by faith. I'm going to read that for you now. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise even the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed by those who were dis- with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, the faith that we have just heard of is not limited to the heroes of the Bible. Too often we allow ourselves to lift these characters up so high that they are out of our reach. They are no longer real to us. They are far off in the distance, so far that we can no longer see their flaws, their humanity. This should not be so, but it is. And so sometimes it is helpful to recall the faith that is demonstrated closer to us by those we love and have known for our whole lives. And in the coming weeks, we will have an opportunity for all of you to share the names of those who are in your cloud. This is part of my list. By faith, my great-grandfather, the Reverend Scoglin, served. By faith, my grandparents raised their children. By faith, my parents, Alan and Nancy, adopted. By faith, I believe that God can love even... Even me. By faith... I was rescued from depression and self-doubt. By faith I studied. By faith Gretchen supported me. By faith, we respond to call to God's call. It is by faith that I stand before you. Friends, you need to know that the road of faith that we travel is not easy, but God is good. And it is only by faith that I am here at all. Thank you.